This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It's Tuesday, February the 14th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Ah, the horns are always a little more excited on Valentine's Day. Coming up on the show today, Dr. DeLorence Lamptey discusses his research with Holland Bloorview Hospital's Embark program. Lawrence Gunther considers the use of bioplastics as an environmentally safe alternative to standard plastic. And Elizabeth Moeller will tell you all about the upcoming Mars and CIBC Inclusive Design Challenge. You'll also hear from Nelson Rago, and it's the weekly news quiz later in the show. Lots coming your way over the course of the next couple hours on this Valentine's Day edition of Now with Dave Brown. Don't worry, we're not going to pepper you with too much love. Let's begin the the show with the top story of the day. And it's a story that you've been hearing lots about over the course of the last week. And it's come to something of a culmination. Canada's premiers will formally accept the new federal health care offer tabled last week. The offer represents about $50 billion in new money over the next 10 years. Manitoba Premier Heather Stevenson thinks this does represent some progress. We have agreed to accept the federal funding. We believe it's a step in the right direction. But we also recognize that it doesn't deal with that long-term sustainability of healthcare funding challenges that we all face in our provinces and territories. So we will be writing to the Prime Minister to talk about and to address some of those issues. New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs still wishes the dollar figure was more significant. Um, I, I would say, though, there's there's certainly a, a recognition that, um, and a very strong recognition that this doesn't begin to reflect the the needs in the healthcare system. I mean, in New Brunswick alone, this funding would account for like uh, 14 days of funding within our healthcare cost system. So that's the politics of the healthcare conversation. What about some policies that are being put in place? Well, over in Manitoba, family and pediatric medical clinics in the province are being offered a new incentive to extend their hours. The Manitoba government is offering a 20% premium for services offered on weekends, holidays, during early morning and evening hours on weekdays. Dr. Christian Thompson with Doctors Manitoba says many physicians are ready to take up that offer. Uh, We held a webinar last week, and amongst the 80 or so who attended, uh, half signaled their intention to uh, keep their clinics open longer. The government hopes the changes will relieve some of the workload at hospital emergency departments. And the Alberta government is providing more spaces and financial aid to get internationally educated nurses accredited in the province. Alberta Advanced Education Minister Demetrius Nicolaitis says students will be able to access up to $30,000 in bursaries. There is a growing need for healthcare professionals to help address current and future demand in our healthcare system. Alberta needs more nurses. Albertans need more nurses. And there are hundreds of internationally educated nurses who want to come live and work in Alberta. 600 new spaces will be created in the bridging program. There is a string attached though Any internationally trained nurse who accepts the bursary is required to work in Alberta for one year for each $6,000 received. Shifting gears to some economic news, the United States will release some of their inflation data this morning. Donna Warder looks ahead. Prices are expected to have gone up 6.2% in January from 12 months earlier. That would be down from a 6.5% year-over-year surge in December. Economists surveyed by the data firm FactSet believe that on a monthly basis, inflation jumped 0.5% from December to January, which would be much faster than the 0.1% uptick from November to December. Economists estimate that core prices, which exclude volatile food and energy costs, jumped 0.4% 
5% in January for a second straight month. That's roughly equivalent to a 5% annual pace, far above the Fed's target of 2%. Donna Warder, Washington. That's your look at the news. Let's shift over to the daily polls on Monday at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. We were still thinking about the Super Bowl. So we asked you, did you watch the Super Bowl? 32% of you said yes, all of it. 21% of you said just Rihanna. 5% of you said just the ads. And 42% of you said, nah, I did something else. Today's daily poll requires a teensy bit of setup. Michelle McQuig in the weekend news recap from the Canadian press offered up some very earnest information about some of the flying objects that were shot down over the weekend around North America. But there's still lots of chatter about those three objects. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says there are still some unknowns about the three most recent objects. I want to be clear. The three objects taken down this weekend are very different from what we were talking about last week. We knew exactly what that was, a PRC surveillance balloon. And as we have said, we do not assess that the recent objects pose any direct threat to the people on the ground, and we will continue to focus on confirming their nature and purpose. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has taken note of the frequency of these events in the last few days. Obviously, there is some sort of pattern in there. The fact that we are seeing this in a significant degree over the past week uh, is a cause for interest and uh, close attention, uh, which is exactly what we're doing. We've employed signif deployed significant resources here uh, to be able to recover the, uh, the object. But there's also been some, let's call it more fun speculation going on. Some people have been talking about aliens having sent the objects. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre shot down that speculation. There is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Oh, look at look at big media laughing, mocking people, doing a little bit of speculation. Well, this is not big media. We are the arbiter of the truth over here at Now with Dave Brown. So today's Daily Poll will engage in a little bit of reckless speculation at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. How likely is it that some of the flying objects being shot down around North America are from alien life forms? Very, somewhat, minimally or not at all. Important preface on this, I am someone who deeply believes in the vast expanse of the universe. There is intelligent life out there, but it's really, really difficult to be sending things through space, essentially in earnest through 50 years, 60 years of traveling the cosmos as humans, We've barely gotten out of our own solar system in regards to sending out objects that are traveling through space. I'm not saying other alien life forms couldn't be more intelligent than us. In fact, it's probably likely they are way more intelligent than us. We are quite, um, that's the word I'm looking for, uh, self-centered and self-destructive in the way that we operate as a human race. However, I'm not all the way convinced that these particular objects that are being shot down uh, are from alien life forms, but you know, it's fun to speculate. It's fun to imagine. It's fun to dream. So, Mike Ross, what do you think? How likely is it that some of these objects being shot down are from alien life forms? Well, I need a little musical accompaniment here, Dave. So, here we go. I don't, I, we can't hear your music, Mike. I think I think it's playing. You can't through, hear that. No, I think it's playing through Bluetooth. No, ah, uh, too bad. The theme song from the X Files. Oh, I see. Uh, I was a huge fan of the X-Files, huge fan. Um, but I still, to this day, can't really wrap my head around anything that's out there versus down here, uh, simply because, you know, I guess I am one of little faith. I have to see to believe. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I I think, what was the, uh, what was that movie with, uh, oh, was it Signs? Yes, uh, Mel Gibson. Gibson the M. The M. Night Shyamalan. The M. Night Shyamalan movie. Daniel Penamondo I mean, and I were just talking yeah. about that movie. That was a phenomenal flick, and it, you know, sort of deals with that same thing where everybody's like, you know, woo, uh, literally in that movie, tinfoil hats and stuff, and protecting your thoughts and everything else uh, from the aliens, and then suddenly it looked like they had actually landed. Uh, so 
I, too, kind of chuckle when the White House press secretary, uh, a position, you know, within an administration that we hold, you know, with with a certain uh, cachet and, and regard. Um, when when you hear it coming from them, you do you have to kind of chuckle. I don't blame them. I, I, I chuckle, too. So I don't think. I don't think it's coming from, uh, you know, aliens or, or out, you know, outer space. But then again, I've also read quotes from NORAD officials who've said, we can't discount that. Mm-hmm. We don't know. So on one hand, you get the White House saying it is not aliens. And then you've got NORAD, the ones who actually put the, the planes up there and scrambled the jets, who say, eh, we're not sure. Yeah, so it's still, it's still under investigation. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, the old uh, X-Files line was trust no one and the truth is out there. And I I suppose somewhere at some point, maybe we get some semblance of truth back from this. But I also think that to a certain degree, just as I think someone could be somewhere on this planet flying these things remotely from a computer and just absolutely busting a gut over the reaction they're causing... (laughs) I think the, the, the there are some people in official capacities that will will look at the reaction that people have and kind of get a kick out of half you know or a third of the population uh, believing it's aliens, a third of the population uh, not believing it's aliens, arguing amongst themselves, and then a third of the population not really caring or paying yeah, attention. Having, so. having some popcorn and enjoying <laughs> the Big puppet show. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, it, it's fun to contemplate. Uh, just for a, a point of reference here, I spend way too much time uh, learning about these things uh, online in terms of astronomy. The closest potential habitable planet for a human, that's not alien life, but human life, is 26 light years away. So... That, that's a that's a ways away just to get there. And as mentioned, we've barely sent any probes outside of the own reaches of our own solar system. So we have a little bit of work to do before we start sending objects at other planets ourselves. Mike, thank you for this. We'll catch up with you in just a moment for the weather update. But allow me to remind you to vote on the poll at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media on Twitter. You can also... Email in feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or give a phone call 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545, allowing you to get a little bit conspiratorial today. So don't be afraid. Reach out to the show and let us know if the truth is out there. Let's go back to Mike Ross, who is going to tell you the truth about the national weather forecast. Yes, indeed, Dave. I've been flying my own weather balloons across the country, and uh, this is your AMI National Weather Report. <laughs> yeah, no, envir- Canada. no environment Canada this time. It's the personal Mike Ross weather balloon reports. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And they have not yet been shot down at this uh, at this moment. At, at the time of uh, this report, our balloons were still flying. Uh, St. John's, Newfoundland will have snow today. Heavy at times, 15 centimeters on the way. The high is minus one. The uh, wind chill near minus 12. Halifax has flurries ending early this afternoon, then a mix of sun and cloud with a high of zero and a wind chill of minus 12. Montreal has clearing skies today. The high will be plus three. In Ottawa, your sunny skies and a high of plus five. In Toronto, sunshine with a high of nine degrees, though the wind chill in the morning minus six. Thunder Bay, Ontario will be mainly sunny with a high of plus five and a wind chill in the morning of minus five. In Winnipeg, it'll be mainly cloudy with a high of plus 8 today. The wind chill there, minus 19. In Saskatoon, you've got a mix of sun and cloud with a high of minus 12. And the wind chill this afternoon will be minus 20. Let's go to Alberta next. Calgary, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of minus 4. The wind chill near minus 12. In Edmonton, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of minus 5. And a wind chill of minus 9 this afternoon. To Yellowknife, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of minus 25. The wind chill dropping to minus 43. That means frostbite in minutes. Into BC, Vancouver will be sunny with a high of plus 5. They've got a wind chill this morning of minus 3. And in Victoria, sunshine with a high of plus 6. And that was your AMI National Weather Report 
from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Mike. Your weather balloons did a great job. Coming up next, Dr. DeLawrence Lamptey discusses his research with Holland Bloorview Hospital's Embark program. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Earlier this month, Holland Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital chose Dr. DeLawrence Lamptey as the inaugural scientist for their EMBARC program. EMBARC stands for Empowering Black Academics, Researchers, and Knowledge Creators. The program is meant to encourage black researchers to come forward with their own research on childhood disability. And Dr. DeLawrence Lamptey is here to tell you more about his work. Dr. Lamptey, thank you for making time to be with us today. Congratulations on this new appointment. Okay, you know what, let's, let's do a quick pivot here. We're going to reconnect with Dr. Lamptey. And what we'll do while we're doing that reset, it's heading over to Canadian Press reporter Karen Rebo to offer up your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index logged a moderate gain in trading yesterday, while U.S. markets gained more than 1% ahead of today's American inflation data release. Toronto's TSX index added 90 points to close yesterday at 20,702. New York's Dow Jones average surged 376 points, and the Nasdaq gained 173. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index added 175 points, and our dollar is trading overseas this morning, unchanged at 74 0.95 cents U.S. Algoma Steel Group reported a net loss of nearly $70 million in its latest financial quarter, compared with earnings of $123 million the same time a year ago. And Ford says it will cut 3,800 jobs in Europe over the next three years in an effort to streamline its operations as it contends with economic headwinds and increasing competition on electric cars. It said production of its first European-built electric car is still due to start later this year. From the Canadian Canadian Press Business Desk. I'm Karen Rebo. Still endeavoring to connect with Dr. Lamptey from Holland Bloorview Hospital in Toronto. A little bit later in this hour, you're going to hear from Lawrence Gunther talking about bioplastics as an alternative to standard plastics, an environmentally safe alternative to standard plastics. Interesting conversation. As you know, Canada is gradually bringing in a single-use plastics ban on things like straws and things like forks, other forms of takeout containers, and it really speaks to the complexity of that gradual ban because go spend some time in your grocery store and tell me how much plastic is being encountered in your day-to-day -day life. There's things like vegetables and fruits that are wrapped up in their own plastic containers. There's things like sandwiches and other forms of containers to keep foods from spilling sauces everywhere so finding alternatives is going to be a big part of this whether it's more biodegradable but still uh, waterproof alternatives is going to be a big one certainly looking at things like plastic water bottles and plastic soda bottles is aluminum really that much of a safer alternative relative to plastic is, e is it easier to recycle so what Lawrence is going to be talking about is bioplastics what those are and what those present but as you learn over and over and over again there's typically a flip side to the way that we talk about these things and that being the environmental impact of actually producing these things you hear this in relation to plastic bag bands saying well you have to switch to a canvas but until you've used a canvas bag, say, a couple hundred times, a couple hundred times, then you are going to be spending as much resources to produce something as it is to actually reuse something. So interesting conversation with Lawrence Gunther coming your way in a couple of minutes. We have connected with Dr. DeLawrence Lamptey of Holland Bloorview Hospital to talk about their Embark program. Dr. Lamptey, we apologize for the technical difficulties. Thank you for making time to be with us this morning. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's my pleasure to be here. So you're doing some research on the intersectionality of childhood disability and racial identity. How would you describe the current landscape of that kind of research? Yeah, currently, uh, research in this area is very lacking. And uh, without a proper understanding of uh, the intersection of uh, disability and uh, 
race, it's going to be very difficult to actually provide uh, better policies and uh, services for children with disabilities uh, of all, uh, from all racial backgrounds. What are some of the areas of intersectionality that you personally would like to do some research in or see a more robust research in? Yeah, so some of the areas would include um, education, uh, some of the areas uh, including food security, social support, and uh, community involvement with, uh, for children with uh, disabilities, and especially uh, racialized uh, children with disabilities. And when you think about a program like Embark, how is that going to offer an opportunity to bring more scientists in, more researchers in, to build a better picture of what that intersectionality looks like? Yeah, so traditionally, uh, black researchers with disabilities like me uh, have faced uh, difficult barriers in trying to uh, advancing our careers. And this program is the first of its kind in Canada and is breaking down, down barriers for uh, researchers like me who are black and have disability. And here at Holland Love You, it's filling a crucial gap and amplifying diverse voices. Uh, research has shown that when we have uh, diverse voices at the table, we, have, we ask better questions and we propose diverse solutions to meet the needs of all. One of the big disproportionalities that we've seen in recent years in the experience of people with disabilities and people of color is the way the pandemic disproportionately impacted them. How much will some of this research be taking a look at the last couple of years and how the issues related to COVID-19 have really brought an extra focus onto intersectionality? Yeah, so my current research uh, at York University is looking at... Uh, the experiences of uh, uh, the intersection of uh, uh, my current research at York is looking at the intersection of race and disability just before the pandemic. And for example, our research, uh, our, our preliminary analysis on food security shows that uh, racialized uh, children and youth with disabilities are disproportionately affected by uh, household food insecurity compared to uh, non-racialized children and youth without disabilities. And so uh, my research at Holland Blobby is going to build upon this research to look at uh, the experiences of racialized children and youth with disabilities during the pandemic and post-pandemic to be able to inform uh, better policies and practice. Uh, not to dive too, too far deep into it, because we might be here all day if we jumped into all your methodology, mm. but what's your working hypothesis going into this research? So uh, my working hypothesis is to uh, look at, uh, um, based on the research that I've done so far, um, um, looking at uh, whether it's possible that there may be differences between uh, uh, racialized children with disabilities uh, versus uh, uh, non-racialized uh, non children with disabilities. And within the racialized children with disabilities, or within the racialized group, let, let me put it this way, within the racialized group, there will be a difference between a black person with disability versus a black person who doesn't have disabilities. Mm. So I want to, my, my research would want to pick out the nuances uh, uh, within and across like uh, racialized groups uh, or children with disabilities from various uh, racial groups background. Dr. Lamptey, congratulations on the appointment to this role. You're going to do a great job and thank you for taking some time this morning to talk more about the Embark program and your work. Thank you so much. That is Dr. That is Dr. DeLawrence Lamptey from Holland Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital in Toronto telling you about their Embark program. Coming up next, Lawrence Gunther will contemplate the use of bioplastics as an environmentally safe alternative to standard plastics. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. With the banning of single-use plastics looming in Canada, people are thinking about environmentally safe alternatives. So bioplastics are one option, but are they as good as meets the eye? Here to explore this further is Lawrence Gunther. Lawrence is the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, which you can find on AMI-audio as well as on the mighty AMI-audio podcast platform. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. Hi, Dave. Lawrence, I'm sure it's implied a bit in the name, but I need your expertise on this. What's the difference between a regular plastic and a bioplastic? Yeah, that's a good question because there's bioplastics, there's biodegradable plastics, and these terms are often interchanged, right? They're, so really, a bioplastic means it's made with a non-fossil fuel petroleum-type product. Normally, it's cornstarch, right? They turn it into a sort of polymer, and they create plastic out of it. Is it perfectly safe? Well, the verdict's still out on that. Biodegradable plastic, on the other hand, can still be made using, you know, fossil fuels, oils, and things like that, but they mix it with organic products like starch. So the starch breaks down under sunlight, it releases the micro, you know, particles of the, uh, of the polymers, of the uh, fossil fuel-generated plastic, and from the naked eye, it disappears today, but from our brains, we still know it's there. It's just so too small to see. So there is some research being done on bioplastics. What is the latest research saying about the environmental impact of a bioplastic? Whether it's bioplastics or biodegradable plastics, it's not clear that this is all that safe for the environment. You know, once it goes into the ocean or gets uh, stuck in a beach, buried in the beach sand, it's out of the sun. And it's the sun that breaks these things down, right? It's the sun that de decomposes the uh, bio biological matter, the cornstarch, for instance. So if it's underwater, if it's buried in sand, it can take years to break down. In the meantime, it's developing various, you know, reactions with what's around it, and it could become toxic itself. We don't understand what those toxicities are. We haven't done any studies on it yet. So to claim that bioplastics or biodegradable plastics are, are inert, are safe for the environment, we can't make those claims, and no one should be making those claims. How common are they uh, currently in the marketplace? Dave, they only make up about 2% of all plastic production at this point, about 250 million tons. According to the European Association of Plastic Manufacturers, they say that's going to triple by 2026 to about 750 million metric tons of plastic. That's still a small drop in the plastic bucket. Lawrence, largely when we're talking about plastics, we're thinking about alternatives because in Canada, there's going to be a gradual phasing out of a lot of single-use plastic. So people mm. are considering alternatives, and oftentimes that is one of the important considerations in alternatives. How much environmental impact are the alternatives having? I made reference to plastic bags in the last segment as I was setting this up in, in the conversation, mm. and yes, in theory, a fabric bag is better than a plastic bag over the long term, but you have to use it hundreds of times before it's actually before you've actually offset the sustainability impact of creating that plastic uh, that that fabric bag. That's true, Dave. You know the energy going into creating these these uh, fabric bags and these you know reusable bags can can be quite significant. And and often they're made with other sort of polymers, fossil fuel related polymers. So you know you're you're not necessarily getting away from fossil fuels in their manufacturing. Others would even say that a plastic bag made from fossil fuels buried in a landfill becomes inert in itself. And it doesn't break down. It just sits there underground forever and ever and causes no real problem. What you're doing in reality too, David, I'll take this one step further and, you know, shoot your arrows if you want, you guys, but you're taking fossil fuel, you're turning it into plastic, you're burying it in a landfill site after it's being used. In a sense, you're doing carbon capture. Now, isn't that a stretch? Uh, it, that does feel like a little bit of a logical stretch, but 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 the argument is taken here, Lawrence. Because let's be clear: walk around the grocery store right now, and so much of what you buy is packaged in plastic for one key reason: 
Plastic tends to be waterproof. It tends to allow things to stay fresher. It tends to make things more airtight. So ultimately, as plastics are being phased out over the course of the next couple of years in Canada, we are going to require some kind of alternative here that is biodegradable. And simply saying that it's going to be cardboard is not going to cut it. It's true, Dave. And, you know, we we were moving towards refillable, reusable containers. People were bringing their plastic containers and other containers to the grocery stores and having them refilled. That all ended with COVID, right? Because yeah. people were worried that you were bringing your virus to the store in the in these used materials. And they said, no, no, don't do that. We don't want you bringing stuff into our stores other than your own personal body and a mask on your face. So that's got to come back. I think there's room for improvement. You know, whether, you know, we go back to the way it was in Europe, you know, many decades ago where we walk around with, you know, wicker shopping uh, baskets over our arms and (laughs) and fill them up every day and, and bring that home. It's not a bad thing. But but again, Lawrence, ultimately here, if bioplastics aren't the answer, like what is the alternative? In in wicker baskets, sure, but that's not going to solve the the kale that's spilling all over my bag. Mm -hmm. The kale juice Mm -hmm. is all over my bag because, you know, I buy a lot of kale. (laughs) You do not. I, I, I every week every week I buy some kale well, good but, for you, but, but but but, good but I buy it you. but Lawrence but I buy it in those plastic tubs yeah. right that, yeah, that kind of they don't get crushed yeah I'm not, crushed. I'm, I'm, not I'm yeah I'm not I'm not buying the the head of kale and then chopping it myself well, what do I look like here Gordon Ramsay but yeah but also I, <laughs> but but I, I mean know. but I mean like re, like really and truly like like we are going to have to find some alternatives yeah, we do. And, and, you know, look at the berries we buy, right? When, you know, when they come in those little plastic containers and, and, and they're breathable and you can stack them up in your fridge and they keep it fresh without getting squished. So they're, the plastics are serving purposes. I think the main thing is if we can reuse more of it, if we can limit it, you know, there's so much that's wrapped into plastic just for security reasons. We go to stores, we see this large plastic, uh, stiff plastic wrapping around small things so people can't slip it into their pockets and steal steal small expensive things. You know, th- we've got to work on that. Th- there's a lot of ways we can start to reduce plastic usage that would make sense we just have to find other reasons to other ways to you know accomplish what we need to accomplish but keeping food safe and fresh is uh, it, it, we shouldn't sacrifice that necessarily we we need to find other options right we need to be creative about this so lawrence ultimately coming back to bioplastics what's your big takeaway on the conversation around bioplastics don't get sucked into this idea that just because the word bio comes before the word plastic, it's all good. You know, there's a lot of things created in the environment that are toxic, right? You know, we think about these green products made all natural cleaning products. Some of those things can be more toxic to your lungs and to your hands than than some of the uh, uh, non-natural cleaning products. So there's, we have to be careful when we make these claims and the companies that make these claims should be held to uh, account for the research that goes into these claims. You know, they should be asked to, you know, yeah, substantiate why you're saying that this is a, a good thing. Yeah. Is it lobbying or is it research? There's a, there's a difference between the two things. Uh, mm-hmm. Lawrence, you are the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. I always tell you how much I enjoy hearing the show when I come into work on Monday mornings as you and Lily are always having lots of fun, interesting conversations. What's coming up? on the next episode of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Well, Dave, there's big news for Nova Scotia. It looks like it's going to be the site of the first uh, sanctuary for whales and uh, uh, other other large marine animals in North America. There's a group out of New York City that have selected a, a, a piece of coastline along Nova Scotia, and they're working with the community and the government to develop a 200-acre sanctuary, and they're hoping to bring the uh, the the orca, the killer whale in um, in Miami from Marine World there, Kiska I think is her name, and also they're working they're well they're trying to work with the owners of Marine Land in Southern Ontario to bring their killer whale there as well. That killer whale's been living in captivity for forty five years in mm. a small tank, and uh, we have laws now that say that this this cannot continue. You cannot use these types of animals for entertainment. Mm-hmm. And um, but the owners aren't playing fair right now. They're not talking to this group, but they're moving ahead. So this is exciting news, Dave. You know, putting Nova Scotia on the map and Can on the map is having a 
a whale sanctuary. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence, I, I don't know how much you were following some of the uh, conference that was going on in Vancouver last week where there was a huge commitment made to protecting a lot of coastline in Canada uh, for biodiversity. So even though this isn't quite the same thing, it's certainly part of that bigger picture. I was there. Well, you, were, so, well, so you were there. So like, I don't know why we're not talking about that with you. What was your takeaway from that I just conference? Got back. Okay. <laughs> well, what's, what's your next big time? What, well, okay. Next ne- time. Okay. You want to save it for next time? Okay. Yeah. Lawrence is going to save his guns for next time. Lawrence, thank you for this. All right, man. Appreciate it. That's Lawrence Gunther, the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, which you can find Sundays, 3 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. You can find the podcast available on demand on your favorite podcasting platform. Just search for Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, and you can follow Lawrence on Twitter at Lawrence Gunther, at Lawrence Gunther on Twitter. Coming up next, Elizabeth Moeller will tell you all about the upcoming Mars and CIBC Inclusive Design Challenge. But first, you know... It's Valentine's Day, so people are having some fun talking about their dating lives on social media. Mike Dubusky will tell you more in Tech Trends. Somebody came up with the idea of doing a dating rap on TikTok. Amelia Sampson is an online creator focused on dating culture. She says the dating wrapped trend became popular with Hinge and Tinder users posting videos of homemade PowerPoint presentations. Breaking down like how many led to a second date? What did we do on each first date? How many of these people ghosted me? I went on 13 first dates, proper dates this year. And while not all data is good data. Sam's 2022 dating wrap. Bring on the trauma. Samson says the trend was a welcome dose of reality in an often challenging social media landscape. Like Instagram is seeing like happy couples and feeling like you're all alone. There's something really comforting about the camaraderie of like, okay, yeah, I'm also like not doing great at this, but we can laugh at it. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There's always an excuse to go traveling, whether it's something a little more adventurous or whether it's relaxing. So how do you go about choosing a destination that feels inclusive, comfortable, and accessible to you? Community reporter Elizabeth Moeller just returned from a trip in the Dominican Republic and is back in Toronto to share her sunny experience. Hey, good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. Happy Valentine's Day, Happy Dave. Valentine's Day to you as well. Elizabeth, just broadly speaking, how was your vacation? It was really good. I think, you know, what made it exceptional for myself and my traveling companion was the level of service. Really important when you have a disability. We actually were able to obtain butler services to bring us anywhere we wanted to go around the resort. And, you know, in addition to that, I think having some of the extra amenities like the room service and our own private pool made it really accessible and easy to navigate. You don't want to be worrying about orientation and mobility on your your holiday. So it was a, a really nice, relaxing vacation. I remember last year you took a sunny vacation down to the Dominican as well. How much research did you go into picking this place? Was it the same place? What were you taking into consideration? Yes, we went to a different place this year, uh, still in the Dominican, but a different location. We, my traveling companion and I did a lot of research. So we did use a travel agent, but there's certain things that for us, we felt were really important. So certainly not a huge resort. We wanted something that was small, quaint, cozy, and certainly something in the four to five stars. And the reason being, it's easier to get staff assistance. And when it's a really big resort, it's harder to navigate. So we were trying to think about what's going to be practical for us, given that we actually want this to be relaxing. The other thing we wanted to look at was the reviews around the food, making sure that there were a range of restaurants, specifically because the buffet is challenging, right? If you have Mm -hmm. sight loss, you're either asking for help and maybe not getting what you need or want if there's a language barrier, or you're having to navigate it yourself. So we wanted to make sure there was lots of a la carte options. Um, Room service was a really big thing for us so that we could have stuff brought to the room and not have to find our way to a restaurant. We also wanted to make sure that... um, 
you know, the resort had options for navigating to other resorts. So whether that was, you know, the Butler service or taking a shuttle, we didn't want to have to be navigating that in the dark. So a lot of our research, again, and we were looking for adults only, both of us wanted that quieter experience. That was a big part uh, of what we were looking for and something relatively close to the airport so that if we wanted to, we could take a taxi back to the airport or take the shuttle bus. We just really wanted to have lots of options. So yeah, I would say in terms of the research, we both spent a lot of time. There were there were things that we were on our must-haves. There were things that were on our we'd like to haves, and we really we we scored well. Mm. For me, I'm I'm a swimmer, so I liked having my own private pool. I didn't have to worry about navigating a pool with lots of other people. That was huge for us. Having a room that was near the lobby so we could orient ourselves easily. Those were all really important things. And it's important that you communicate that to your travel agent, but also when you check in at the resort, that you're communicating with what it is you need. I, uh, I've got some questions here about this private pool because this, sounds, okay, quite, this sounds quite bougie. How big a private pool are we talking about? <laughs> um, so the private pool was narrow and it spanned probably about five or six rooms. So we did share it with, with a couple of other people, although I didn't see a whole lot of other people in it. It wasn't heated. Maybe that's why, but it was so hot there. I didn't mind. Uh, it, it certainly could be seen as a little bit bougie. I think for me, I just knew what I needed to be comfortable. And these were the things I needed. You know, I think uh, another thing to consider for sure is letting the folks at the resort know right off the bat that you can't see that you might need some extra help. They actually, the staff gave us a number to call if we needed to be walked from one location to another and that was really helpful at nighttime when it was dark sometimes the lighting in the resorts is not as bright as you'd like mm. oh elizabeth when i say bougie that wasn't a statement of judgment it was a statement of admiration it's okay dave i knew exactly what you meant okay all good, <laughs> all good. Uh, elizabeth i think you've really uh, encapsulated this in your last couple of responses but what are some other things that you consider to make a travel experience more accessible yeah, even so, you know, even thinking before you get on the plane. So for myself, uh, I can't see the the print on the U.S. money, and we know there's no Braille. Mm -hmm. So when I went to the bank, I actually asked them to divide the denominations up into various envelopes. So something for your ones, your tens, your fives, because then you're not having to pull out your money and guess what it is. That was one thing. Getting assistance at the airport is key. So getting there early. In our case, our flight was delayed, so we were really early, but getting to the airport ahead of time, going right to the check-in desk, indicating you need assistance, right down to the airplane. They will bring you a wheelchair. It's okay. You can just say you don't need it. I think that happened to all of us. <laughs> it's but it's the, funny that's their natural instinct. Hi, I've got know, a disability. Well, we have a wheelchair for you. Exactly. And I and it's funny because my, my traveling companion and I both say sighted guide, but I think there perhaps is a, a bit of a communications barrier there. So I think getting there in plenty of time, you know, even with your luggage, taking a picture of it to know what it looks like so you can show somebody. I know myself, sometimes I misidentify colors. So having a picture so that when you're at that carousel and it's the dreaded, everybody's grabbing their bags, you can show it to the attendant and say, this is what my luggage looks like. Having something distinguishing on your luggage, uh, yeah. a flag, yeah. a ribbon, uh, that's, whatever. That's yeah. that's my move as a legally blind person. I just have Excellent. a I just have a, a pink post-it note that I've used scotch tape on to wrap around oh, the handle. So it's a big smart. pop and pink thing that I see rolling down the uh, rolling Oh, that's down the smart. Carousel. Mine's gr a green ribbon, so you've got me beat there. You've got me beat well, there. A little, little bit of brightness here, a little bit of brightness. Yeah, yeah Elizabeth, I mean, that that's the thing. You're, you're, what you're identifying here is that there are a bunch of stumbling points in regards to accessibility that a stressful place like an airport or a tra or any travel destination is going to offer to you that, that pretty much you cannot control. So I like what you're advising here is things to maybe mitigate the chaos. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And even just pre-boarding the plane and asking folks to on the plane to orient you to where things are, like the washroom and the call button, because you don't want to be doing that when people are throwing their bags up and, and trying to jump on the flight. So you're, I think prepare, being prepared is the key. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth, one last question here about travel before we move on to something uh, a little bit more tangible. Why do you keep landing on the Dominican Republic? I mean, there's a lot of great places to travel in the Caribbean <laughs> and in the tropics. Uh, Mexico, uh, Dominican, uh, Cuba, Jamaica, Aruba. I'm, I mean, I'm just I'm just throwing a couple off the top yeah. of my head. There's a bunch no, of places sure. to go. Why do you keep landing on Dominican? You know what? It's um. I think for me, 
the resorts looked really nice. Not that there aren't um, lovely resorts elsewhere, but I think it was partly cost, partly the resort, and partly that it was a little bit familiar. And sometimes I, I think when we're coming out of COVID, certainly we're still in COVID, but we're starting to travel more. Familiarity can be helpful yeah. because we're we're sort of reacquainting ourselves. I know myself, I'm having to remind myself of all my, my tips and tricks I used prior to the pandemic. <laughs> As someone who is taking a vacation to Montreal and Ottawa this weekend, yes, there is something to be said about familiarity. Places that you go all the time uh, can be a little bit more appealing when choosing a destination. <laughs> Absolutely. Elizabeth, let's uh, pivot over here. The Mars Discovery District in Toronto and CIBC are coming together to present the Inclusive Design Challenge. So what are they focusing on with this challenge? Yeah, this is the third installment in an installment of four. And the focus is on career advancement. Mars and CIBC have undertaken some research to identify trends in career advancement and career trajectories for persons with disabilities. And what's been noticed here is that 29% of individuals with disabilities have difficulty advancing in their career. And we know that that's partly because of attitudinal barriers, partly because of lack of support networks and opportunities to advance. We also know that it sometimes is a lack of upskilling on our part as the job seeker with a disability. So this challenge is really asking organizations or individuals to come together and think about, well, what are the solutions we need for career advancement? So you have till March 1st, you can submit to the Mars and CIBC challenge. And the goal is really looking at what, what are the trends we need to think about when we're looking at career advancement for people with disabilities. You can do it in writing, you can do a video, you can submit by email or mail, but it's really getting people to think more broadly about how can we be creative about getting more untapped potential into the workforce. This is a really important topic, and it's certainly one that gets revisited a whole bunch in conversations around accessibility and disability. But so oftentimes, the framing of the conversation is getting somebody a first job or getting somebody employed at all, whereas some of this conversation is about mm -hmm. advancement in a career. Yes. What do you feel the biggest barriers in regard regards to career advancement for people with disabilities? I think there's a couple. So I think, I think we need to look first at ourselves and the fact that quite often we get comfortable. It's like a cozy slipper. So we land that first job and because it's taken us so long and we've had so many hurdles, we don't, we don't want to move. We want to stay in that cozy, comfy space and we're guilty. maybe doing, we're yeah, guilty. Me too. So we're, we're in that space. We feel comfortable. We're maybe doing really well. And so we don't advance because there's fear of the stigma. There's fear that the software we might be expected to use is not accessible. There's fear that we might have a manager that doesn't understand our accommodations. So we stay. So that's, the first barrier. I think the other barrier is that we're overlooked for opportunities for promotion. And I would say this probably is the case with other EDI groups as well. But the reality is quite often people with disabilities stay in entry-level jobs. That's partly because of ourselves. But I think it's also we were overlooked for opportunities for promotion again because of the stigma. Are we going to be able to handle it even though we know that 76% of people with disabilities perform average or better in a job? But are we going to be able to handle it? Or are, are we going to be able to navigate all of the responsibilities? So I think we're, we're absolutely overlooked. And I think the third thing that quite often happens is the disclosure piece. So maybe we're navigating our, our current job really well, and maybe we're masking, or we've disclosed and we've had a really good experience with accommodations, but disclosure at the more upper management level can be a little bit more difficult in terms of how that's handled around accommodations. Mm. How does networking play into this? So you always hear people saying, oh, networking is so critical, yeah. so critical. I personally dislike going to networking events. Oh, I uh, love networking. In, in, my, in my off time, I like to uh, chill and not meet new people. So I obviously am digging my own grave there, but how does networking play into this? Yeah, support networks are huge. That was actually identified as one of the priority, priority areas. The, the reality is everybody needs a champion, whether it's a workplace champion or a champion in your school or volunteer. And it is harder for us to find those. So employee resource groups can be a great place to start if your organization has one. If you're a job seeker or a student that's transitioning into part-time or full-time work, looking at mentorship opportunities. So shout out to the National Educational Association of Disabled Students. They've got some mentorship resources that are being developed currently. Communability is a website that links post-secondary 
secondary students with people that are employed who have disabilities. So mentorship is really key. Reaching out to uh, employment service providers to see if there's somebody that they can connect you with who's in your field. If you're at post-secondary, they often have career fairs. Networking's not everybody's thing, but if you're able to get to those and connect with somebody in your field or somebody with a disability who's not in your field but can give you that first bit of advice to help mm. you get on your way. And I think, you know, the other thing around networking is it isn't just face-to-face. -face. So we know with COVID, we've had to really learn not to navigate different parts of technology, whether it's LinkedIn or whether it's Twitter. So getting out there on those platforms as hard as it can be and starting to connect with people in your field and ask for those coffee chats and those info interviews. Yeah. I would also say you mentioned uh, the notion of outside of your field of work. It yes. is invaluable to spend time Absolutely. with people who don't do what you do for a living yep. because it gives you loads and loads of perspective on how the yep. rest of the world works. And you never know. You never know if, and, and to your point, Dave, you know, I, I was not originally in media or broadcasting, but I connected with someone at AMI and here I am. So yeah. you never know what's going to happen or who you're going to meet and how that might trigger something for you that you potentially want to explore. So there's, there's a lot to this challenge. The submission deadline is March 1st of 2023. So really only about a week or so here to get submissions in. If you want to send an email to learn more about it, challenges at marsdd.com so m-a-r-s-d-d.com the website is way too long for me to read to you right now but that'll go up on the blog after the show ami.ca slash now ami.ca slash now elizabeth thank you for your thoughts thank on you, both Dave. these topics today and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks uh it'll Absolutely. be it'll, it'll be just you and me no marco pasqua next time we chat for a round table. oh is he in dominican yeah, he, uh, he's got some uh, business travel and some recreational travel combined. So, yeah, Mark, Marco, a busy, busy man. Elizabeth, thank All you right, for Dave. this. No worries. Happy Valentine's Day again. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, I fully intend to. And I will also be eating peanut butter right out of the jar with a spoon because that's how I be living. That's Elizabeth <laughs> Bowler, community reporter in Toronto, Ontario. Again, a reminder on our blog address, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now to learn more about the, make sure we get this right, the Mars Discovery District and CIBC coming together for an inclusive design challenge, ami.ca slash now to learn more about that. If you hear something on the show that you really enjoy or maybe something that you don't enjoy so much, you can always reach out and offer up your feedback. Your thoughts on our programming are valuable. So here's the email address, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca feedback at ami.ca you can find the show on social media at accessible media on twitter and tiktok at accessible media on twitter and tiktok you can also find the show on facebook or instagram at accessible media inc at accessible media inc and of course there's always old school picking up the phone giving us a ring ding ding even if it's a landline 1-866-509-4545 1-866-509-4545 coming up after the break the regional news update is coming your way and brock richardson stops by for a sports chat as well this is now with dave brown on ami tv Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.